that's something else to look at is a lot of these things might be a, a, a little bit more expensive initially, but these things are going to pay themselves back. You know, So if, if you're building your once-in-a-lifetime house, dream project, you know, and, and you plan to live in that for the rest of your life, do it properly the first time. Side to Studio 13, um, Kaya, what's your surname? It's McCarty Smith. McCarty Smith. Kaya McCarty Smith from Wilderness Building Co. Correct. Um, I just want to start off by saying like these podcasts I find um, I really want to start focusing more on the people and the human sort of element. You know, I think a lot of the time we drone on about sort of industry chat and like it just becomes so generic and whatnot. So I'd love to start by just, we never met. This is the first time. I just want to learn, learn about you and who you are, like where you come mm. from. Like, yeah, yeah, well, I think I have probably a pretty unique story to becoming a builder. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to a Steiner school, um, so Melbourne Rudolph Steiner School in Warrenwood. Pretty alternative um system of learning and teaching and um i kind of took it for granted um with i guess as a especially in my teenage years you know um, yeah it was such an amazing um opportunity um i know like my parents really sacrificed a lot to send us to that school myself and my siblings and it was it was really focused around creativity and kind of boosting creativity out of kids. Um, and so I played music. You have to play a musical instrument at that school until year ten. Um, but yeah, I loved that. Mm. I started playing guitar, and um, yeah, really kind of um, yeah, great group of friends and something else that was probably the most kind of notable part of our school is it has an amazing um outdoor ed program so in year nine you go on nine different camps like one of them is for close to a month um and yeah so we we spent a lot of time outside yeah the school grounds are really that's really funny like yesterday at our breakup barbecue uh, i learned that one of our um shop drawing details also went to a steiner school um up in the country though yeah and um i think he was around mansfield is i'm not sure if there's one around there there is yeah um and uh cam is actually have you spoken to cam about this cam was telling me how his him and his partner were thinking about because they're going to move up the coast and was telling me that they might uh that they're considering that as well Mm. and i found it was very interesting like yesterday thomas was telling me like the school he went to it's really focused on making sure that kids aren't boxed into a way of thinking Mm. But and even in the environment, like there's like you said, a lot of outdoor learning, like the the architecture, like a lot of the windows aren't square, they're like round and triangle and whatever. Yeah. Because why sh- why should it be square? Why does it have to be square? Yeah, it's it's yeah. something that I think, you know, subconsciously affected me, the architecture. So Melbourne Rudolph Steiner School is one of the most beautiful kind of wow. learning environments I've ever seen. Yet they have even just the colours of the classrooms, uh designed effectively to kind of help with creative process and help with learning and 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 they're different for each year because 
a child is developing differently each year. So it's, um, yeah, it's an incredibly um, amazing place. But as I said, I took that completely for granted until I was probably nearly finished year 12. And, um, yeah, something else that the school was famous for was it had the highest deferral rate in the state. (laughs) So the teachers really encouraged you once you finished year 12 to go take a year off and travel or whatever that might be. Take a year off. You've just done 13 years of school. You may as well kind of, you know, you're just getting to that age of discovery. Go and don't just jump straight into uni. Try your hand at things. And, um, yeah, so when I finished school, I, I, I started just doing some labouring with one of my good friend's um, fathers and Joe ran a plumbing business. He, he had a civil um, background as well. And then, um, yeah, he, he finished, up the, um, finished up the civil business to his brothers, got back to just doing some plumbing and then, um, yeah, kind of the week after he, uh, he left the business, he thought, oh, I'll make a horse stable at his property down, out near Listerfield Lake and built the horse stable and then had a friend come over and said, oh, who, who built this? This is amazing. And Joe's like, yeah, I, I, I built it. And then he just started rolling into doing carpentry as well. So it was, it was quite an organic shift from, from him doing plumbing organizing a big team to then swapping over to carpentry and and building so i worked with him for seven months um he was going through a divorce at the time so we he he moved down to his beach house in portsey so i would um i'd drive down on the monday and um yeah we started doing a lot of work between the peninsula and a lot of work in turak and um yeah, so Joe and I became really close, spending that time together Monday to Friday and, and he was an amazing teacher um, and an amazing energy to be around. Um, I still haven't met anyone like him in the building industry. Um, and, yeah, once I started with him, I set a goal pretty quickly that I was going to go travelling for the second half of my gap year. Um, had a few other mates who were going over to Europe so um yeah i was working with joe to to save some money to to get over there um and so yeah we did that for about um six nearly seven months um and i was about to fly to europe um and yeah a week week before that um joe committed suicide and that was like an absolute um bomb went off in my life like someone who I was that close to you know we're literally spending nearly 24 hours a day together five days a week um yeah and Joe had such a um flamboyant energetic presence um that yeah not really many people if any knew he he was struggling with um a yeah, really severe case of bipolar and yeah it was it was yeah as i said a, like a bomb went off um and i was not sure if i should still go traveling or um or yeah it was it was it was a massive hit so um 
Joe was a pretty avid traveler himself yeah. and and I just went actually no nah, that's crazy I gotta go mm. you know so um it was pretty hard because I, I did leave like a, a big um support network mm. um I actually flew out the day after his funeral mm. um to Europe and I'd never been overseas um I went by myself on the plane and um met a few of my friends in London and um yeah it was just a huge <laughs> culture yeah. shock and and everything um and yeah from from there i spent the next um nearly six months in europe um and yeah it's mostly western western europe and um spent a bit of time living in berlin yeah yeah like i mean in in some, i mean as much of a tragedy as as it is losing joe i mean that it, it kind of really speaks to what the Steiner School teachers were asking you to do, which is to go ex- experience, to be open-minded, to be curious, and to to experience that breadth of life. Mm. There's so much of a focus on you need to specialize, you need to go deep, you need to go down this path. But th- there is, uh, and I say this with a lot of respect, but there's also so much beauty in the experience of that tragedy. Oh, I'm yeah. sure for your yeah. for your personal growth. And, Definitely, yeah. it taught me a a huge amount about myself. Um, yeah, Joe's family was also people that I've been really close to forever, and you know, everyone dealt with that experience really differently. I know a lot of the other, other tradies that we worked with um, at at um, at the funeral. A couple of them were just angry. You know, others were. Others were, you know, just distraught. Um, others were just in shock. It, 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 like, and to go through that as an eighteen-year-old, it was, it was pretty profound. Um, and yeah, I had a lot of people coming to me because, you know, I spent so much time with him at that period, um, probably more than his own kids in that last part of his life. So, yeah, it was, um, it it was probably the biggest. Um, there's been a few other things, but um, that was probably one of the biggest learning experiences for me, for sure. Right, and then so how did that scenario, and then going and traveling, how does that inform your next the next steps that you take? Yeah, well, <laughs> traveling's pretty awesome. I'm not sure if you've you've got overseas by yourself and done some extended period of time, but I, you know, it's pretty it's pretty easy to um, get swept up in that. So once I got back um, from Europe, I pretty quickly after that decided that I want to do some more traveling um so when I got back um yeah well stepping back a little bit actually um the plan was before Joe passed away he said when you get back from Europe you can do an apprenticeship with me so that that had been something that you know I guess I'd had planted in my mind so when I got back I thought well yeah maybe I'll pursue pursue a trade but then I said well no I I don't want to I don't want to do an apprenticeship. That's yeah. four years, you know, mm-hmm. um, of time. So I decided that I would, um, I would go back to working on sites, but just as a labourer. Yeah. So I actually um, got a job as soon as I got back with um, Andy, who is still a really close friend and actually works for me now, which is awesome. Um, but Andy um, was doing plastering. He does some carpentry as well, but mostly plastering and so i just started learning how to hang sheets mm. and um he wouldn't let me use the trowel but um <laughs> we yeah 
we had a lot of kind of incidental carpentry, you know, linked in with hanging plaster. And um, Andy's an absolutely amazing character. Mm. He's um, he's thirty years older than me mm. to the year, um, but we got along as if we were in the same age. You know, we he he was really into music. He lived in a um, he lived in a house with quite a few famous musicians in in Fitzroy back in the day. So he um he was yeah he was someone that um yeah he was always going to gigs and going to different rock stars houses and the like so it was um yeah really infectious and contagious person to be around and also yeah. he um has the best taste in music so we would just be cranking these awesome tunes every day yeah on site and yeah i i yeah he had a really good team working with him as well a couple Everyone was a musician um, and, yeah, so often one of the guys would be going on tour. Heskey was playing with Jet, the, that band at the time, and um, and the drones and, and Gus was, um, yeah, drummer, drummer with a band called the Gin Club. So it was all these cool older males, you know, that were effectively became pretty big role models mm. for me. Um, and, yeah, I, so I was doing the labouring. And then, yeah, I was also still playing guitar and, and yeah. doing a bit of music on the side of that too. Um, and then the music actually started. I joined a new band and um, that started getting a bit of traction. Mm. And, um, yeah, as I said before, I had that bug to do more traveling. And, um, yeah, well, it was about six months later I um, I decided – Went over to America for a couple of months and um, lived with some other musicians over there. And I also did some um, labouring when I was in the States. So I was living in New York and um, everyone said it's oh, so hard to get a job there and the money's so terrible. And the first night I was in New York, I was at a bar in Lower East Side and um, this sitting next to this guy and he, the American dude, and He's like, oh yeah, I do do like house painting and 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 um, we're we're about to re-roof this this house in New Jersey, and um, he's like, do you want a job? I was like, well, I've just kind of got here, you know, I'm 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 wasn't really thinking about working straight away, uh, and he's like, oh, no, it'll be great, you know, different different experience for you, and um, I said, yeah, actually, why not? Mm. So. Yeah, got the train out to New Jersey um, a couple of days later, and um, yeah, we we started re-roofing this house, which was um, a massive learning experience because it was, you know, we were sheeting the roof with OSB. Like, yeah, they do it for the snow and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, and then the shingles are going on top, and my mind was blown. You know, um, we also yeah. had no scaffold; we had a rope that we tied around the chimney to our waists because yeah. the pitch was so high on yeah. the roof. Um, and yeah, it was pretty funny The so the, the guy whose house it was, um, he ran a, a record label and he came out and he, 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 he introduced himself to me and he's like, oh, you're a bogan. And I was like, what? Um, his name was Mike Simonetti and yeah, he, um, He's like, yeah, I've been to Australia. I, I DJ there sometimes and stuff. And he, he was this, yeah, really, um, really 
really hilarious dude. So, um, yeah, I ended up kind of doing about a month's work on his house with Damien and, yeah, had a ball and, and yeah, learned a lot of yeah, really different ways to do things. Um, mm. I'm not sure if you've been to a hardware store in America. They're like... Make our um, they make our bunnings look like a, a little um kind of corner really minor ten or something. Mm. It's um yeah, incredible. And just I remember just like seeing mm. all these tools, you know, that we we didn't even have here yet. Um, yeah, for like a third of the price. <laughs> and it was um yeah, it was it was a really cool cool experience. And then I yeah I came back to Australia again after that time in Europe and. I was back for about two weeks and my mates who I was living with in New York, they just got asked to do a tour of the States. Mm. So, um, yeah, they said, can you come back? Do you want to come on tour with us? So I um, I said to Andy, who I was working with again, I said, well, I've just been asked to go on tour. Yeah. And he said, go for it. <laughs> like it was, um, yeah, it was 27 shows in in 32 days what year was this this would have been 2011 yeah yeah so i was yeah i was 19 had my 20th birthday there during that trip and um yeah you're not even allowed to go into a into a bar, venue yeah. until yeah. you're 21 so um here was myself and my new friends traveling around america in a dodge sports car mm. um yeah literally sleeping in motels and you know would play the gig that was enough money to get us to the next town mm. it was a pretty wild experience um and then so once you where does the building journey really start to kick off? Well, it was pretty much when I got back from America, um, our band started really, like my band that I was here in Australia with really started kind of becoming quite, um, uh, what's the word, popular. Mm-hmm. Um, and we started doing some tours around Australia and I, I, I was then just still laboring. And um, Johnny, who was the guitarist in the band, he's a, he was a few years older than me. Um, and I remember this so vividly. We were at band practice at our studio and um, Johnny's like, what are you doing? You know, you, you can't just keep laboring, you know. He was a school teacher um, and he's like, you've got you to get something behind you, you know. Like the band's doing good but... What, what happens if it crashes, you know? You need something to fall back onto. And, yeah, so pretty quickly after that I decided, yeah, I'm going to do my apprenticeship. Carpentry. Yeah. So I just kept I kept coming back to carpentry really. Like that's what I was mostly doing with Joe, um, the plastering and learning all those other trades and did some painting, did some landscaping in that time. But I kept coming back to carpentry, you know. It felt probably most comfortable to me. Um, and then, yeah, it wasn't long after I kind of made that call. Um, one of my best mates, uh, Mo, who's also a builder, um, now he was, he, he just finished his apprenticeship and, um, he 
picked up some work subcontracting to a builder called Basis Builders, mm-hmm. and they were looking for an apprenticeship. Yeah, uh, for an apprentice. Sorry, and um, so Mo called me straight away, and he said, like, "You got to give this guy a call. They're best builders I've ever worked for. They're, you know, they're doing great jobs and um, really organised. Give him a call." So yeah, I called Reese and um, yeah, arranged to kind of do a trial that next week and oh, I remember and, and, and what was that just what was that apprenticeship experience like for you it was good it was so basis at that time were were doing um work pretty much for one architect at that time um we we're working for um it's called make architecture now studio bright and um yeah so it was highly architectural beautiful um but beautiful but not over the top designs like well considered yeah definitely um i still to this day think it, you know if you were if you were um looking for an architect um that you know does d- does work of a really high level but it's not too showy mm. um i i think yeah studio bright are amazing and really good value for money as a client as well i think they get they really get a lot out of um the houses that they renovate and um yeah so i I was really lucky i and i i really got kind of swept up in that that architecture very quickly taking those plans home they were really good drawings um yeah i remember reese would like print print out the plans for me to take home and yeah I, i really started kind of getting a good um yeah, good feel for the those drawings because, you know, having five different jobs with, with the same architect was amazing because I really got to understand the nuance in those in those designs and I stayed with Basis um, for a couple of years and then um, had another friend who um, was looking for an apprentice as well and I actually made the call to swap. Um, and yeah, so pretty much halfway through my time, I jumped in with, um, yeah, my friend Joseph and, um, yeah, finished my time with him. And so I, I think that was really good too, cause I got, you know, the experience of, um, yeah, working in basis, which was a pretty well oiled, um, yeah, well oiled machine to jumping in with Joseph and he chucked me in the deep end. I was started running some pretty big projects while I was still an apprentice um in hindsight was um you know it's definitely got me to where i am now but at the same time it was pretty stressful um and um yeah so i think overall my apprenticeship you know and i've been reflecting on this a lot lately because i've you know started hiring my own apprentices and 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 kind of really understanding what worked for me and what didn't work um and yeah i think you know everyone is different but um yeah i think it was really good for me to get kind of two very different um takes yeah and and so what once you're qualified what do you are you working in a building company are you do you do you work supervisor or are you more do you learn the ca side of things as well like how, how does yeah. what does that journey look like to, I, to your building registration I, I did it all really um i started off yeah supervising um, and then once that um, that project finished, um, Joseph kind of had, I think he had like four jobs all finished at once. 
and mm. I was the youngest supervisor, you know, um, and so a couple of us ended up moving to different places and, um, yeah, the architect that I um, worked for on, on on the last job I did for Joseph, we got along really well mm-hmm. and, um, and he had a couple of little small jobs um, that he thought might be appropriate for us. So, um, yeah, n- not long after finishing with Joseph, I ended up kind of effectively running my own job for him we did a recording studio for sony in richmond and um yeah that was a that was an awesome job it was something that you know was completely different i had a real interest in music. close to your heart yeah exactly so yeah i had that interest in music and um yeah so it it worked out really well and and now in hindsight that job has kind of led me a little bit to where we are now because we had to consider, you know, building this airtight and sound tight box effectively. And that's kind of, yeah, moved into work, some of the work that we're doing now. But, um, yeah, Nick was the architect and, yeah, he's been a really um, strong supporter of myself. So we did a couple of jobs together. And then after that, I thought, you know, I want to learn more. Let's Let's maybe go into a, a, a different role and, and as you said before, I actually yeah, went into a contract admin position um, for a company called McCorkle Constructions. Um, that was my first kind of taste of commercial. Um, so I'd been in, yeah, kind of that architectural domestic sphere my whole my whole career to that point and it was, um, yeah, it was a pretty big shock um, what kind of commercial, like what scale type of project were they yeah, doing? Yeah, so the two the two projects that I was working on when I was there, we were doing a $20 million swimming pool out in Windhamvale. So um, that was a pretty uh, pretty funny scenario because there's a new estate being built, but they have to have the infrastructure there to be able to kind of increase how many houses they put there. So we were building this giant swimming pool in the middle of a paddock. <laughs> um, so it was just even the physical landscape was was completely different and, you know, being in a site shed and, um, yeah, coming from that trade background, I you know, I, I always kind of um, naturally lent towards kind of yeah, helping physically in those situations and, you know, now I'm wearing a, a shirt and... Mm nice black pants and so um yeah it, it it i kind of pretty quickly kind of caught on to it, it probably wasn't um aligning that well yeah. with my kind of core values it wasn't aligning but we we spoke about this with uh, oscar from LawCon on episode 11 um he he, he uh, yeah so he did with like he did his time with a high-end architectural builder and then worked in uh commercial like hospital schools the site manager, foreman site manager. And as much as that wasn't his passion, as much as how many how demanding it was and how soulless it was and how difficult the contract is going to be to deal with, that he said for him was very formative for him to then become an architectural builder because it taught him documentation, it taught him contracts, it taught him program, it taught him all those things. Did you are there similarities in your experience with Oscar? hundred percent. Yeah. Like I I learned of processes that I didn't even know existed. Um, yeah, and, you know, I think when you're starting to play with sums of money that are that large, 
um, you know, you're forced to really kind of, um, it's a bit different to doing a deck, you know, where, you know, if you, if you miss getting the screws, you know, it's, it's okay. You don't, you you don't need a it. supply contract for the screws. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, yeah, working on, on that pool, like the, I think the roof, the roofing contract was 1.5 million, you know, so it was, um, yeah, it was a really, um, re- really yeah, another jump into the deep end, but I also found out quite quickly that, you know, I had a pretty good understanding. I know I knew how everything goes together where a lot of the other contract admin um, people that I met during that time, you know, they came from uni and mm. they didn't really understand the physical um, side of it. So I think that really helped me and, you know, it just it, it helped me learn so much during that phase because, um, yeah, I already had the knowledge to kind of go off. So I think, it, yeah, it, it really, um, yeah, really um, honed my skills. Yeah. Um, that, I mean, that speaks again to the Steiner philosophy from what I'm learning from you is breadth of knowledge, you know, breadth of knowledge. You know, yeah. not, it's, this isn't the economy of 50 years ago where you specialize in something and you work in that job for two years. You know, how you're creating value is you know high-end architectural you know how you you know how to build, uh, but you also know how to run business, and you also know documentation, and that those two things tied together is a one plus one equals three situation. Yeah, it's it's yeah. I saw also, you know, I I say this all the time, but learnt what not to do from other people as well. You know, I, I was a watcher. You know, I just absorbed what was around me. I would have been. The worst person to employ as an apprentice because i also had such high standards for everything but those high standards applied to my employers as well so i would always kind of see why the hell are they doing it like this or if we did it this way you know wouldn't we get there faster or wouldn't there be less risk is that is that uh, was that also part of your education was to question things and to and to always oh, be definitely. be curious and to and, yep. and to challenge ideas and to and to really innovate yeah anywhere that you see definitely I, I think that's that was part of my education but it was also part of my upbringing like mm. and the people that were around me like um, your yeah. parents were hippies oh my name's Kaya um, so yeah definitely beautiful name by yeah. the way it, it is a beautiful name. <laughs> I hated it as a child, but it's um yeah I've grown to like it. Um, but grown um, to love it, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. No, I definitely came from a pretty alternative background. But my like my stepfather, he he was an engineer. Um, so you know he he was always solving problems in his shed. You know, like he he, he was always working on stuff, and he ended up um he ended up actually just doing kind of general mechanics when he, he was from new zealand moved here and stopped the engineering and, and got into fixing people's cars <laughs> um but yeah always kind of had that mentality of like if something's broken let's try and work out how to fix it um so um yeah i think there was yeah multiple kind of facets to that but i think that that's yeah probably brought a pretty kind of um yeah well-rounded yeah approach to um certainly how we do things now yeah like if i look at if i think about people in business who i admire or who i think have a lot of potential or do really well i think one of the most dangerous sort of traits to have is to be open-minded that makes you really dangerous like at 
as a competitor in business, I think being open-minded, being able to humble yourself and observe and listen, um, which is what you're saying, you know, really looking at things and analyzing how you can innovate and make improvements. I think mm. that's um, like that something I'm very like, – because I went to a, just a very standard public school. I just had a very standard public school edu- uh, education and I certainly wasn't exposed to this thinking of you have to be open-minded, you have to be as curious as possible. And I'm very grateful that I sort of developed that over time myself mm. you know, as, as I've entered the world. Uh, and it's something that I'm incredibly grateful for because you just have to be open-minded and curious if you want to keep mm. improving. I don't, yeah, probably yeah, not. And, yeah, and it makes it more enjoyable too, for sure, I think, mm. for yourself. If you, you know, it's not getting stale. You're, you're always looking for something and 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 looking to improve so um yeah it's also hard though as a business owner because you know we we now as wilderness you know we've got probably four different kind of things styles of things that we do um when we're not so niche um we, we have a few things that are niche but um yeah and i'm constantly kind of thinking of thinking of other avenues and things that we can explore so um yeah, it drives my partner crazy, all my new ideas that I have <laughs> each week. But. Yeah. Well, you have to think, like you, people have to not be afraid to think, you know, like mm. uh, we live in this uh, place where, uh, you know, I consider it a real privilege to be able to think whatever you want to think. Mm. You know, that's, if you look at a lot of places in the world, you're not allowed to think. Um, it's, it's it's incredibly dangerous. So, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I have a very good relationship with my dad and we talk, you know, he's he's like an ideas guy, mm. and ninety five percent of his ideas are shit. But but he's got but but those five percent of good ideas. That's there's a lot of that's beauty. In, there's yeah. a lot of beauty yeah. in that, you know. So that so yeah, and and when and I with my mates, I, I was just saying to my mate yesterday, he was talking to me about ideas for his business, and I, I said, you know, why am I sort of so? Why do I push back on all of your ideas? Why do I sort of am I, am so pessimistic about? So a lot of your ideas, I said, I should stop doing that. You know, we should flesh ideas out, but not sort of knock them down mm. right away. Because who's to say that it just won't work mm. if you don't try it, for example. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, well, that that kind of ties us into what we're doing at the moment. Because yeah, when we started Wilderness, um, I actually, um, yeah, so John Raisin is my business partner. And we actually met. We were doing a job next door to each other, and um, and. So, yeah, we just kind of, you know, general chit-chat, you know, see each other as you park at, at 10 to 7 in the morning, you know, and throughout the day and taking the bins out and the like. And, yeah, we, we kind of got a bit friendly and, um, yeah, I was, I was on that job for a year and I think he was there for, I don't know, about three months. And when he was finishing up, um, he said to me, oh, we'll do something together one day. And I was like, oh, it's kind of a weird thing to say. All right, no worries. And then... Um, yeah, sure enough, um, we'd, we'd exchange numbers and the like, and he was a pretty, um, yeah, pretty unique builder. I think you know his he, his attitude and um, kind of charisma and like there was something I wanted to know more about him. You know, I was intrigued, and so when I was um, yeah, kind of still in that contract admin job, I um, or just finishing up, sorry, um, I decided to reach out to John and we went and got a coffee and. Um, he said, why don't you do your own thing? And I said, well, I don't know. I hadn't really kind of thought about it too much. And 
Um, and yeah, he, he, he said, well, how about I kind of mentor you for a little bit and, and see how we go. And um, I think that lasted for about two weeks. And then he said, let's just, let's just do this together. So that was, um, that was when we, um, yeah, birthed wilderness. And, um, yeah, we had some pretty, um, well, yeah, I certainly had some pretty kind of strong ideas about what I wanted the business to be mm. and, um, the direction that I wanted it to come yeah. in. Um, so firstly, what, what, so what year, how many years ago was this? You this, started wilderness? This was two years ago. Yeah. Yep. So late 2019. So yeah. um, we did a couple of small um, bathroom renovations um, leading up to Christmas in 2019. And then um, start of the year was the um, the Black Summer bushfires. Mm. And I remember that. Yeah. So there was a huge kind of, um, you know, I, I felt instantly like, what can we do to help you know we're in the building industry you know people don't have a home what 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 can i do to help um and got put in touch with a community um town called kajiwa which is up near koryong in um the upper murray region and the town got annihilated and um yeah one of the guys um who lived in the town who's kind of yeah i guess a um um, yeah, kind of a bit of a, a, a public figure in the town. He um, was friends with my mum, and so yeah, got got put in touch with him. And I, yeah, he sent me this photo of the playground, and it was a plastic, um, plastic slide. Yeah, and um, yeah, my hand gestures aren't going to help yeah. with depicting this, but um, it was a plastic slide that um, had affected. It was a cylinder. And it effectively, you know, it would have come down about three meters. Melted like a slinky. Completely melted. You know, there was there was like eight hundred mil of it left attached to the to, to the burnt out yeah. steel frame. And I remember seeing that image and just going like, oh, far out. Like, um, so, so I'll, I'll ju- I'm just going to cut you off there. Yeah. Just so tell us what your vision was for wilderness, and then how that informed your next steps. For yeah. what, what you did with yeah. the bushfires. Yeah, so um sustainability was number one. Like that was our that was the goal. Um working in the other businesses that I've yeah. been in and especially in that um architectural space, there was so much waste. There was so much um excessive over specification of things, you know, there was so much money that was getting wasted. Mm. Um, and we were building these award-winning, beautiful homes that a client would move into and, you know, it wasn't comfortable. And you'd ask, but what? What are we doing this for? Exactly. And, and, and that actually, that fact almost made me leave the building industry, you know, because I saw not much hope for a solution there. And... Um, when I met John, he came from a background of very kind of forward-thinking, sustainability-focused um, construction. Um, some of it, you know, pretty out there, like straw bale houses and mud bricks and things, um, poured earth floors, things that were, yeah, hippie or certainly alternative here. Um, and then, 
yeah, I guess just throughout my research and 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 experience, you know, started looking into things like tiny houses and all there's there's all these kind of really cool ideas out there of how performance could be improved and not necessarily having to um, increase the budget too much. So at so at the forefront is this environmental social mission. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's a really good point. Social is is the the social benefit is just as um, important as the it's environmental. Why, it's why. Yeah. It's, it's, well, it's, it should it's tied be together. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And then probably yeah, not much, not not long after I learned about passive house, which is mm. a German energy model that was. Um, Invented in 1991 um, in a place called Darmstadt, Germany. Darmstadt. Yeah. So they, it was it was this building effectively that the the founder Wolfgang Feist um, dreamt up, um, and he also, um, you know, being in that um, Central Europe kind of cool climate, um, you know, you're getting temperatures. Like when I was in Germany, I think it was, you know, in Berlin it was minus 15, so it's freezing cold, you know. And um, he came up with a way to effectively just using these five principles to not need to have heating or cooling, which, you know, you say that to people now, even in Australia, you say you don't need to have a heater. They'll tell you you're crazy, you know. Um, And so... Yeah, once I kind of learned about Passive House, it's something that you can't unlearn and I jumped down the rabbit hole and, yeah, I just didn't get out. <laughs> yeah. But, you, but you guys aren't a Passive House building company. like it's. Or, we we or, or, are moving that way, yeah. Okay. So we would call ourselves a high-performance building company. Yeah. Because I, because Passive House is a standard. It's, there's, Correct. There's, yeah, 0.8 air changes an hour or something like there's, 6, like, yep. there's yep. like certain rigid yep. sort of <laughs> requirements there which which the more that I've learned about it I think I have a lot more respect for it, it it being a system because if you follow those rules and you 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 tick all those boxes you're going to achieve the outcome mm. whereas in 95% of other homes that are being built here in Melbourne, it's 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 actually like and the star rating and the like, mm. it's it's not proven. Yeah, it's it's, it's very it's fluffy. hypothetical. Very exactly. Fluffy, yeah. yeah. So I like that passive house is tested mm. and it's accredited. And the beauty of it is also that you know what you get before you even start building. So the 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 modeling's all done. Um, before we start so the client knows exactly how much energy that that house is going to use it's all calculated within the the um the phpp modeling which um is necessary to to certify a passive house so um that that part alone is um you know for us as a builder i also see it taking a lot of risk out of the process because it's, you know, we have a passive house consultant, we have a passive house certifier. We're trained as a passive house mm. um, trades people. Uh, I've just completed my exam for the passive house designer and consultant course as well because, you know, there's all these there's all these people that are effectively um, ticking it off before yeah, you start. Yeah, I think, I, think I think for passive homes, I think 
that design and construct, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Makes a lot of, because you're relying not only on the expertise. You know, it's some, if you separate the expertise of the designer from the builder, I feel like the, there's there's a disconnect there. Mm. So I think if you, you guys, because you said you're accredited for the design as well as the building, that I think that makes a lot of sense for passive house mm. design. Yeah. yeah, but something else that something else that's kind of very common in the passive house sphere is the um, early engagement of the builder. So if you if if an architect a client comes to them and says, I want to build a passive house. They're going to call a builder straight away and they're going to say, we want you to um, start looking at this project with us because it's not like a traditional kind of um, project where you can you just put it out to tender, pick someone and then start the job in a month's well, time. Like the, the construction method in directly influences whether the project is going to be a, a success or not at the core, which is – we're trying to build a passive house. Correct. Whereas like with traditional design bid build models, you don't have that, there isn't that conflict or that need. Yeah. Correct. So that was that was something else that, you know, um, I'm sure you, you're, you've priced a lot of projects, you know, that were through the tender process and the projects didn't get built or the, you know. I'd say didn't. most, I'd say, uh, I mean, we certainly don't win most of them, but yeah, a lot of them just, get put on hold or don't get built or yeah exactly and and as a builder you know we we like to well i i learned especially through that ca process you know i like to price things accurately like we don't use square meter rates because especially right now you know you, you can't um but um yeah we like to spend at least three to four weeks on the tender to ensure that we're pricing it as accurately as we can for those clients but also for ourselves so we know you know that we're heading into to something that we know we're going to either make money from or it's going to be tight in this area so we're going to really need to put our, our energy towards that um and yeah so we priced a couple of projects in in the early stages of wilderness and yet yeah, they were over the budget of the client um and the projects didn't happen and, you know, I spent a month of work on that and not just myself, it's also our team of subcontractors and the like that are pricing it. It's wasting everyone's time. Um, and so I just went, wait a second, there's got to be a better system here. And, um, yeah, something that I kind of came back to from that commercial space, which my bosses were doing was, yeah, early contractor involvement. So, um, yeah, they, the, the designer would come to them at concept phase. And um, effectively, that that meant that um, you know the builder, the architect, are forming a team from day one, and and working together to get to um, to get to the the outcome that everyone wants a successful project mm. and on budget, on time, everyone's happy. Yeah. So. Um, so, what does that procurement model look like for wilderness now? What, yeah. How, how have you? What do? What are you stepped into, or what are you stepping into? Yeah. So we, <laughs> at first, you know, when when you say to someone, or oh, actually, yeah, we don't tend to projects. You know, um, uh, we we had a few architects and clients be like, "Well, you're crazy. You know, you have to. Like everyone else does it, you've got to do it." Um, so we. We first had to, well, I personally had to learn to say no to things um, 
And now we have um, five projects lined up for 2022, all of them uh, under our early contractor involvement um, kind of setup. So effectively, we want to break that stigma. We're not charging for a quote. We are charging to be a consultant effectively at the table. Um, and something else that kind of got um, raised pretty quickly is like, well, what if what if the, the the client doesn't necessarily want to sign their their life away to the builder before they've actually even really got to know us? Um, so we also introduced a, a, a part of the puzzle which we call the break point. So we'll do a um, a, a project budget um, price to the concept design. Um, if there's the preliminary engineering and the like, that's really beneficial because it'll, it'll get it more accurate. So we'll do that process and then that will inform the architect or designer throughout the design development phase so they know that things are kind of on, on track. And then at the completion of design development um, and engineering's come in and any other consultant kind of input, we'll do our detailed cost proposal for the project. So we're not calling it a quote, it's a cost proposal. And, um, yeah, we spend over a month on it, on all of those to make sure they're as accurate as possible. We're giving cost options and the like for certain things if, if, if we're getting close to, close to budget. And, and that's the other point, you know, we're all working together to get to a budget. It's not We're not just pricing it to try and get to this number that nobody knows. We're all working together to get to a budget. And, um, yeah, I think often designers used to lean on, you know, quantity surveyors and the like um, who aren't invested in the project. They just put figures to it, you know. Um, so we're actively trying to help everyone get to that, that figure. And, um, and then from there, um, once we've given our cost proposal, we provide that break point to the client and designer. If they want to go out to market and get it priced by other people, that's fine. We've charged for our time from day one to that break point and we charge in a way that, you know, every, everyone's happy if, if we walk away or, or they walk away. But with every single one of these projects, we've formed an invaluable team over that period of time. That might be a year, that might be six months, different for every different project. And every single one of the clients have decided to move forward with us as the builder. Mm. So it's it's an invaluable process. We've had to say no to um, a few amazing projects because, you know, they didn't want to go down that path of that model, but we've had to kind of draw a line in the sand and, um yeah, it's it's we now have architects, designers, and clients coming to us because we're doing that model. What what does the pricing look like? Like, how do you work out what the cost is going to be of of that that uh, consulting scope? That's different um, project to project. So the passive house, um, the passive house projects that we're doing, they're a little bit more expensive because there's there's more work in it effectively um it it kind of comes back to time spent mm. um that being said you know we definitely we're not covering all our costs it's not a profit center for you guys no. it's it's um i mean it's it 
it's really just a demonstration of faith for between mm. between parties that there is intention to work you know kind of like yeah. a step up from like a negotiated tender i guess yeah, yeah exactly and and to be honest that you know everyone should be getting paid for that work that's a huge amount of energy outlay and you know most builders have just accepted that they have to do that work for free and you know a lot of smaller up-and-coming kind of builders you know they do that work at night once they've got home from site you know it's 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 not that kind of healthy ongoing you know um so yeah i feel incredibly lucky you know that people are um seeing the value there and yeah we've had some yeah really great um kind of references now and um yeah great experiences and and yeah everyone working together to get to a common goal so you you spoken about the social uh, and the sustainability, so the the environmental sustainability, social sustainability. What are you looking for in projects? Uh, uh, like what what are the other are there other sort of is, is there anything that you want to add on to that overall mission or that overall vision for uh, maybe speak to the overall vision of mm. where you see wilderness going and then how that informs the type of projects that you want to work on? Yeah, well. I think, yeah, environmentally, there's a few, like, deal breakers for us. If your project is connected to gas, it's not a wilderness project. And we've had to kind of help educate some clients, um, probably my mum most notably, you know, there's such a romantic nature to cooking with gas. My mum has this really amazing old, um, it's called an early cooker. It's like a 19... Um, 1960s like gas cooker at, at her place in the Dangnongs and you know um, I said mum you know she wants to redo the kitchen like this is a perfect opportunity to cut your gas line <laughs> you don't need it anymore you know put in let's let's put in an induction cooktop she's like oh, I don't want to cook with electric that's you know it, there's there's this romantic nature that's there that is just definitely starting to be on the decline. Educate me. What's what's the problem with gas? It's it's a finite resource that is you know we extract from the earth mm. earth in an, in an invasive way, and um, you know if you have solar and you have a battery, you know you can be cooking with energy that is produced. A you don't have to pay for it, and and B you know it's. It's from the sun. It's it's naturally occurring. So, um, yeah, gas is there, – there are, you know, there are movements towards gas being regulated m- furthermore into the future and I think it's only a matter of time until, yeah, we start to see a lot of the, the gas elements and um, phased out of projects anyway. We're just trying to kind of, you know, help encourage people on that path does it is right now? Does it only really make sense to cut off gas if you have a solar PV with a battery system? Because electricity doesn't come from renewable sources. No, no, yeah. If you can't produce it yourself, but um, you can you can get your electricity through providers that are you know they they're doing the right thing. So I think with everything, it's it's. The environmental, social elements, you know, it's, 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 mm. there's so many barriers up, mm. you know. Yeah, of course. Um, and I think gas is one that's quite easy to, um, 
you know, it's really easy to take out because mm. there's amazing alternatives. Yeah. That are so what do you do available. for like so for uh I certainly share that romantic you know, feel mm. of with cooking with gas like your mum mm. does or had. Um but the the big functional thing for me, I think I, I think that my my personal view is that hydronic heating is perfect for the Melbourne climate. Mm. Um just like in Germany and mm. Europe and whatnot. That's fine, no worries. Um, what's so? What HVAC systems do you guys recommend your clients look at? So you can use a heat pump. So like from the ground up. Um, so uh, yeah, so you can you can use um, so in slab heating um, works really well with an electric heat, heat pump mm-hmm. for for the um, yep yeah, to, to heat it effectively. Radiators can be a little bit more problematic. You have mm-hmm. to make it. You have to use a larger size boiler to get the water up to the right temperature within the unit because the because the, uh because you because hydronic panels run water at 70 whereas in slab is 55 exactly so yeah. it's a lot easier and more efficient um to use the electronic um alternative to the gas there so yeah. they're a little bit more cost prohibitive to some people like that i think for example on a project that we just passed one up i think it was about fifteen thousand dollars for the heat pump and it was about six thousand dollars for the the gas boiler mm. um so yeah i think it really comes down to yeah a as you said before where you're getting your power your, your energy mm. and then um yeah if you can offset some of that with yeah. with solar then that's yeah. awesome and and so if you if they can't do slab heating or um in screwed what uh, uh maybe a passive house is a good idea then because you don't need to have heating um yeah, but if, but if they if they if they weren't building a passive, would you? I mean, splitties are very yeah, yeah. very split um, system. Yeah, split systems are a lot more efficient than a ducted. Definitely, so, and, yeah. and they're getting better and better. Yeah. You know? um, uh, each, I, I had such like yeah, uh, I yeah, I grew up in a house. You know, it's like don't turn the air, air conditioning on. You know, like so, it, it would go on like for that 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 you know the three days of forty. In a row that would be it you know so um yeah i've always kind of yeah been very um conservative um um but um yeah i through my kind of learnings with passive house and the like yeah a, a split system is is a yeah. really good way to go yeah and we don't i mean in melbourne we don't actually use the aircon that much uh what 30 days a year max maybe mm, yeah but the heater use a lot yeah. yeah six well, six months eight months yeah. yeah i live in a um i live in a beautiful old cream brick house in eaglemont mm. and you know yeah that it, that house has taught me so much like it's yeah double brick it it's got i think in my bedroom alone was six vents mm. to outside you know it's um it's kind of the antithesis of a passive house mm. <laughs> um because but, homes need to breathe. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 taught me a lot, and we've yeah, you know, we try and not turn on the heater all the time, and we try and not run the AC. So, it's 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 a fine balance, you know. Um, so there's there's other things that you can do, like for for heating, for example, like operable blinds outside, things like that. Like there's there's alternatives to everything. And ten years ago, it was really hard to find. Now they're everywhere, yeah. you know, um, and and it's you've just got to put the energy in to find it. 
and and getting back to like the the goal i guess for us with with wilderness with all of these kind of elements is you know i think the next thing that we're really having to look at is is waste um, and it's really really hard to get rid of things properly um so we're looking into repurposing a lot of products now on on our projects um and yeah using using products that can be recycled at the end of life as well what what's the um uh, obviously the you know in terms of the value for the business you know to go to that effort is you know you have you know ethical guidelines and you have sort of the goals and your the missions that you want to achieve uh but for that to scale there needs to be uh financial incentive mm. right or financial disincentive yeah right yeah. uh penalties um there is a lot of value being there's more and more value being put on sort of social value and sustainability and whatnot sort of in a financial sense where like mm. clients will are willing to pay more to work with someone mm. uh, who has a mission or stands for something mm. but how do you see that scaling you know yeah i think look at is it just look at like clients? patagonia for example mm. you know like if you, if you can set in business an ethical um an ethical standpoint that is is above and beyond the status quo you know i think especially over the last few years um when we've been trapped in our homes and you know we're told we're told like during the bushfires you know we're told not to go outside for those days with this bushfire smoke above the city and you know that those those days your house was actually probably more unsafe to be in than it was outside because when we're not using things like mechanical ventilation and the like so i think people are starting to to wake up the financial incentive for us is that you know we're getting the clients that we're aligning with with our values and you know it's it's kind of a a natural sorting house um you know because we've got we've got these ethical standpoints and 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 getting back to it like we're not we're not trying to charge any more than if we were getting a bin in and just dumping everything to the tip where we're having to be strategic with making those decisions financially viable for the client too. Yeah. So that it takes a lot of energy. <laughs> it takes a lot of energy by us, but I think it's going to pay off for us with getting the right people that want mm. to work with us because of that. So uh, gas, big no-no. Waste is an important step for you guys. Yeah. What What are the other? You said there were deal breakers. That things that are really important to you. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Well. Yeah. An all electric system is great. Um, you know, there's certain products like aluminium windows. You know, they they're an incredibly um, uh, what's the right word? Wasteful. No, they're just you know, they're aluminium is an amazing conductor, mm. so it's going to bring hot and cold in and out. Yeah. So um, the thermal performance of products is something now that we're we're factoring in so what are you guys doing is are you guys just going all right we stick with ali but we do thermally broken or what, what are you well do there's you do also timber or like what, yeah. like what are the alternatives yeah so um we're 15 years behind uh, the states and europe with the products that are kind of readily used in in australia so 
it's not too hard. You can turn to them and kind of see what they and do. And we're 15 years ahead in style and design. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but go on. Yeah, yeah. No, it's and, and that's a hard balance. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, timber windows are amazing. But as a carpenter, you know, I've had to go back and fix timber windows um, it, from as a, a maintenance perspective. Yeah, so that's what I was going to ask. What type of – is it more of a composite style? Are they, no, are, we're, are they doing- we're, there's, there's some um, – there's a company, for example, two companies in Melbourne that um, make amazing timber windows, um, Bink windows. And I bought a door from Bink before. Yep, yeah, yeah. Down in ba- uh, Brayside at yep. uh, Chelsea Heights, yep. I think, yeah. Yeah, so they are amazing. They're, they're a very ethical business as well. They're sourcing all of their hardwood uh, ethically. Um, the other one is Parhammer. They're in Berlin and um, – both of those um, companies, they're, they're doing European-style windows, mm. so they're sealing really well, they're airtight. They're, Do you like PVC? Well, that's 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 been a game-changer. So UPVC windows are cheaper than aluminium windows. They out- That's been around for 30 years. Yeah, and they outperform, um, they outperform the aluminium windows massively. Um, a lot of people, you know, have had this, um, yeah, I guess, stigma because they're ugly and plastic and plastic yeah. you know um and you can actually get upvc windows now that you can use in bell 40 so um the, fire the, yeah, yeah fire areas so the project that we're doing at the moment in um fitzroy with kennedy nolan it's a um it's a retrofit of 15 apartments mm. and they've actually um decided to use the UPVC windows on on that project, Smart. which is yeah. um, you know it, it was a hundred and fifty thousand dollar cost saving to the client, as opposed to using aluminium windows, which is incredible. And and the performance in those apartments is going to be that much higher just by changing it the frame, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's it's that's pretty amazing. And then. The other thing that I, I used to see a lot is, you know, people would put all this money into their glazing and then, yeah, it would be in an aluminium frame that's not thermally broken or they'd put louvers in or something next to it, you know. So I think we need to balance style with functionality and it, it it's just going to take some people like Kennedy Nolan, for example, to start using these products and they'll become popular and, and I think, that's something that yeah you know we're we're really wanting to push because you know as a builder often we don't get to make those decisions of what products are put in the project you know um, through the early contractor involvement um, process we are asked for our suggestions a lot which is it's really nice it's really rewarding to to having these architects trust your opinion and 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 you know we, well I mean you're a consultant yeah. Yeah, which which I think you know, that's uh, builders have so much expertise um, that often a lot of it is wasted or taken for granted. Uh, anything else apart from windows? Windows, um, yeah, even even kind of. What about yeah. like um, like the like sealing of the external envelope? Yeah, I mean that's a huge huge Definitely. one. Even just like the wraps. That we used, you know, perhaps how you're taping them, how you are you flashing them to the bottom, are you, are you, you know, um, yeah. a lot of those things. Yeah. And and that's something that I mentioned before with passive house being something that is um, an insurance policy for me. 
you know, if you follow the rules, you, you're going to get this product at the end of it. But it also comes down to just the general maintenance of the building. If you flash everything properly, you're using vapor permeable wraps. So if water gets into the frame, it can escape, but it can't get in. You know, th- these, are, these are keeping the longevity of the building. And um, so we, yeah, we're, we're now like there's, we use a, pro, a, a company called ProClimber and we get all of our wraps and tapes and the like from them because we know like they their website has details on how to do every single junction, every join, what you use on the roof to the wall. And, um, you know, we're effectively without putting cladding or roofing onto the um, building, it's completely weather tight. Which is, you know, unfortunately, if, cladding and roofing doesn't actually make anything. Tight, no, and, tight, yeah. and and you look at things like the Anticon blankets and things that we use as the the insulation in in roofs traditionally. You know, that has the silver paper. Consider the sarking. Yeah. yeah, so that's you know wrapping your house in aluminium tin foil that and then putting holes in it so it breathes. Mm. You know, you're also putting holes for for vapor water and moisture to get in so it's yeah i've had to really kind of change the way that i think about the kind of simple things so building envelope um and then yeah the other one that i mentioned just briefly is the mechanical ventilation which i think is something that um people take oh it took me a while to get around to it you know that seems pretty extreme that we need to have fresh air 24 hours a day getting brought into the house and then extracting air out 24 hours a day um, and keeping this kind of system going. Um, my initial thoughts were, doesn't that use heaps of energy? Um, and, you know, like, can't you just open a window? Like, isn't that going to get that fresh air in? But especially with um, the last few years again, you know, everyone's trapped at home. This, this actual necessity that we have of breathing fresh air is vital, you know? Yeah, I mean, one thing I learned about u- at uni was uh, indoor air quality. Yeah. Um, indoor air quality is um, it, and, it, and how it affects experience. You know, there's, there's a few things that we don't usually think about in building design. Um, uh, lighting design, um, air quality, so like HVAC design, think about indoor air quality, like those things really, really, really impact the user experience, you know, 100%. and I don't know how many times you've told clients, maybe you should sacrifice the $6,000 slab stone bench tops and get a better HVAC system. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, yeah, so in a passive house, you're using a, a mechanical heat recovery ventilation system as well. So a bit of magic happens in in this box um, and, you know, that's, that's, that's the kind of next level. But um, you can also use like a, um, uh, yeah, a, a decentralized um, HRV unit, which could just be mounted in a wall and that's just sucking in air 24 hours a day and extracting in another part of the room. And, you know, that air is being filtered. So if you have any allergies, um, hay fever, you know, right now is terrible time in Melbourne for, for it's been uh, bad this year. allergy sufferers. So, you know, if you can um, get all of that nasty stuff out of the air that's coming into your house, um, yeah, like the guy that I did my training with for the Passive House course, he suffers from yeah, hay fever like really bad. Like it's kind of de- debilitating at times. 
and um and yeah he says that as soon he lives in a passive house and within about 20 minutes of getting home he's fine you know because he's has no pollutants coming in no toxins he's just you know it's just fresh air Mm. and the other thing that sold it for me is i actually went and stayed in a passive house um that's um, one of my favorite buildings we're actually doing some work there at the moment it's called the dales for longhouse and um you can actually rent it on airbnb the accommodation is a passive house so um yeah my partner and i stayed there and woke up in the morning like wow i feel really like clear-headed and um you know just quite fresh um and you know looked up and was like oh that's the that's mm. the um, fresh air vent that's been blasting <laughs> onto our heads all night, you yeah. know. It's silent. You don't hear it, but that air is coming in. And it's, yeah, it's something that it's taken me a little while to get my head around to, and I think it will take a little while for the general population to get their heads around. But well, I it's think- hard. I mean, like the value proposition is something that's hard to, to educate people on. Mm. You know, it's uh, you look on TV, magazines, Instagram, and, uh, you're pulled to the visual elements of mm. you know, what's what's attractive, right? Mm. So, indoor air quality is probably the least sexy thing you could exactly think about, right? Yeah, yeah. But um, what you're saying, I mean, instead of sleeping in a carbon dioxide box all night, mm. you, you know, you're breathing in fresh air, and that. I mean, what value do you put on one percent better sleep, for example? Mm. That's something that's hard, very yeah. hard for clients to justify. Or like as a parent, if your children are in that mm. space, you know, like you can't put value on that. You know? mm. um, a healthy home is mm. going to create so much more positive mm. things in your life, I think. So, um, yeah, it's, it's yeah, once you learn all these things, it's it's really hard to then go back and, you know, not, not mm. do them. <laughs> yeah. You touched on before about the sort of architects are generally pretty socially liberal, but then they design really expensive, excessive um, vanity items. Yeah. (laughs) What what do you think on the conflict there? Because there's so much social messaging about fucking carbon neutral this, that, we're saving electricity, we're this, that. But you're building fifteen million dollar houses. Yeah. Like, what, don't you? I find the virtue signaling aspect of that a little bit like off-putting. Um, what, what do you like? What do you think about all that? Yeah, I think you know anyone who works in the built environment has such a huge responsibility mm. to be, you know, introducing things into the world that have a positive impact. Um, and that is even more prevalent as a designer than a builder or a cabinet maker, you know. Mm. Often, like, you can be doing things, you can be sourcing your board from places that are ethical and the like, but as a designer, it, it really comes down to them because at the end of the day, you know, they've sold something to the client that we've got to help build. And, yeah, there's there's small things, there's small boxes that can be ticked by a designer to ensure that their their project is going to be more ethical and 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 have a, a better impact in the world. So yeah, I think it really does come down to designers. 
um, something pretty amazing is there is, I, th- oh, the, I think the, the numbers jumped from my head, but I think we have about 450 passive house designers in Melbourne. Oh, sorry, in Australia now, um, which, you know, in the, that's gone from about 35 years ago. So there, there is an awakening um, in, in that sense. And I think, you know, it, it's, as I said before about the UPVC windows, it, it only takes a couple of these people to, to make big gestures and big statements in their projects and, and it, it, it catches on. Mm-hmm. You, know, you look at uh, like Nightingale, for example, which is, you know, it's, it's, it's a model now that's being replicated around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a, a, such a um, kind of core values ba- based around sustainability and making it environmentally um, low impact. Yeah. I mean, like Nightingale is a, is a great example. Um, but I've heard a lot of negative things about the execution and the, like the, the, the sustainability in terms of how well you can scale the project, mm. um, whether it's like, residents or you know more people from more like the more traditional property development sort of sectors and whatnot mm. i mean it's isn't that like an ongoing issue of how do you scale socialism yeah. <laughs> almost yeah. yeah well like we're working with a an, a, a business called finding infinity and they mm. have um we did a um we did a uh a exhibition effectively with them for design week last year and well, this year, sorry, in in um, March or April of yeah, twenty twenty one, and as part of that, that um, they came up with a um, a model called um, a new normal, and effectively, it's a um, it's a blueprint for how to make Melbourne carbon neutral by twenty thirty. If you follow these rules, or you you follow these systems. Um, you can effectively, um, yeah, and it's going to cost this amount of money. I think it's thirty billion dollars. That will pay back in ten. Not a, not a lot of money, <laughs> and and that will pay back in yeah. ten years. You know, so that's something else to look at. Is a lot of these things might be a, a, a little bit more expensive initially, but these things are going to pay themselves back. You know, so if if you're building your once in a lifetime house dream project. You know, and and you plan to live in that for the rest of your life. Do it properly the first time. Yeah, think about that, like value, not just in how how much is it per square meter. Think of it sort of your experience or your user experience in the home, quality of life, uh, and then life cycle costs. Is I mean, life cycle costs are pretty easy to calculate. Mm. You know, yeah. you, you work out to it. I mean, often the idea with passive is you sort of put more of the upfront. Uh, there's more upfront costs, but overall it's going to be lesser in terms of life cycle costs, so it's going to even out. Definitely. And and we've kind of worked out ourselves and, and with some of the other architects that we work with, It's if you want to build a passive house, it's it's going to cost you somewhere between 6 and 10% more than a traditional um, architectural build. Mm. But, you know, if you compare that, um, this that, that's on a kind of project somewhere between – 800,000 and 2 million kind of thing, probably 6% more. But, um, you know, if you're building a swimming pool or if you're building a large commercial building, 
it's a lot more cost effective to build passive house than it is to build traditionally. So that's something that we're actually starting yeah. to see um, some schools. Um, we, we have looked at a few tenders recently, um, you know, of primary school, South Preston. There was um, a cultural centre in Cowes, um, which, um, yeah, my old bosses have, have, have won that job and, and that's a passive house. Monash Uni have said that they're only going to build passive house buildings from, from now on. So Yeah, I mean, if you look at, for commercial spaces, yeah. like if you look at if you look a little, my my partner's a um, commercial property manager. You look at like sort of HVAC, like just facilities management, capital expenditure, sort of costs over a life cycle. That's um, it's huge. Yeah, yeah. And the cost to run these buildings is yeah. astronomical. So, um, yeah, there's Monash Uni did a student accommodation building down yeah. near Frankston, which has no heating and cooling. And the, the reports from the students that have been there for the last few years is like everyone is loves the building, you know. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's a pretty big issue to tackle. But, um, yeah, we're, we're starting small with, um, with the houses and, yeah, hopefully mm-hmm. moving into some um, larger projects in the future. But, um, yeah, we're, we've got – Three passive house projects lined up for next year, which is pretty mm-hmm. exciting, and um, and then yeah, another two high performance homes. And my partner and myself have just um, been looking for ages, but we finally bought a block of land, and we're going to um, build our own passive house as well, which is pretty exciting. Whereabouts are you guys building? Um, we've just bought in Chewton, which is just near Castlemaine. So, where's Castlemaine? <laughs> it's about you, you head up the. Um, uh, Calder Freeway uh-huh. towards um, towards Bendigo. Yeah, and yeah, only about an hour and a half from CBD. Yeah, beautiful. Mm. Uh, and you guys are going to be building passive there. Yep, yep. So that's that's a really um, a good climate there for passive house. You, right. you need to worry a little bit about the overheating, but if you factor that in with your orientation on the site. Um, yeah, we're going to use this one as a bit of a testing ground um, yeah. for ourselves to, um, yeah, I think something else, uh, you, you mentioned it earlier as well, is, yeah, we definitely want to start doing some of our own projects into the future. Mm. So, um, yeah, potentially our own developments and the like. Mm. Um, and, yeah, design and construct I think will be something that we'll yeah. offer. How, how do you, like, so if you were going to do like a social housing development or like affordable housing development what, mm-hmm. what would you would you say all right let's get a, a nightingale licensed architect involved and do it that way or would you do it more the finding infinity way or what, what how would you do it finding infinity uh um they're they're like the sea shepherd of the <laughs> of the building space mm-hmm. do you know what i mean they, they really do shake the horns and and i think that you know they're they're very numbers focused, mm. so the, they'll they'll tell you exactly what it's going to cost and how quickly it's going to pay back for you. So, if you're a developer and you're 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 looking to, you know, take on a, a project that has mm. a social um, uh, impact, then yeah, I'd certainly be giving I them think, a call. Like I think like if you're a developer and you want to, the only way for it to make, and I'd love to see it scale. You mm. know, I think, you know. 
we're young kids. I mean, mm. we'll call us kids. We're young kids. We, we're young guys. Um, you know, like affordable housing, for example, is a very, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a very big issue for our generation. Mm. Um, I, but I just think it, it has to make money for the developer. Mm. Like for it to be sustainable and if you if you do it smart it does like like I, just yeah. as much money as building three units in ringwood yeah no and yeah. and, and it, it does yeah. if, if if you if you get the right mm. people on board mm. it it then the numbers don't lie yeah yeah I, yeah that's I, that, that's really that's really important because it, you know the same way that like like you said you can choose to charge for tenders you can you know that's the beauty of the capitalistic sort of economy that we live in is you can do whatever you want and the market will speak. Mm. Um, so I, I, I firmly believe that any sort of social mission has to be backed by, um, it has to make sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and I think, you know, yeah, it, it really does. Like mm. if you, um, yeah, if, if you, if you get the right people involved, it's, um, yeah, it's a no brainer. Yeah. I think the gap there is, there's just like education kind of gap where developers mm. don't know how to be very thoughtful about a lot of these things and mm. sort of engage the right consultants. And mm. then, I mean, a great example is sort of developers not wanting to spend on design, for example. Mm. Like they'd rather spend more on the finishes and not on the design mm. when they could have built smaller houses that are more considered that are going to make them more money. Um, it, like, I guess that's kind of like the yeah. issue with the passive. Yeah, well, unfortunately in Melbourne, you know, our policy for development is especially like in the CBD, for example, is to not have a policy. You know, mm. we're, we're, we're unfortunately built some absolute monstrosities in this city, mm. you know, and it's it's now, you know, on potentially the next generation to to, mm. to help help kind of solve some of these issues. Um, so, yeah, I think, um, yeah, in, in any practice, you know, if you get the right people around you and the right team of consultants, um, you know, you, you, you're going to be more informed, you're going to make better decisions and you're going to get better outcomes. Yeah. Um, I saw you came here with a list. Was there anything that you wanted to, to discuss? No. No, that was just mental notes for myself and I, yeah. don't, I don't think I actually looked. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you can look. Feel free to look. No, no. But I, I mean, I'm, I'm very curious as to sort of what um, – I, I think we have a – a better insight into sort of what what drives you and what sort of what you're trying mm. to do. But what like what does Kai, like what's in it for Kai? Like what what does Kai want to? Like what what is it? You know, is it? I'm you know, I'm sure it's a little bit of everything, but mm. what's in it for no, you? That, yeah, that, like, like a, what do you want to do? That's a really um really good question, and yeah, it's it's something that um you know sometimes this job, especially when you're battling against a lot of people that usually say no to you on on these these kind of environmental um kind of decisions um yeah it can it can wear you down a little bit um but no i I, i've always kind of felt that um yeah from a young age that you know i want to make a difference in what i do um you know, playing music was a pretty um, amazing, you know, um, feeling. You get this energy in the room. You know, you, you, you're influencing people through your creativity. It's it's an amazing feeling. Um, and now that I've retired from music, mm. you know, I don't get that feeling 
um, very much, but um, anymore. Like, so I think, yeah, I'm wanting to kind of create a a business and create a um, awareness um, for people in the construction industry. You know that you you can you can do things better and you can do things more ethically and um, you know make a positive difference to the built environment um, rather than just take 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 and use 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 yeah and what's your do you well i mean a great way to do that is to make content around around sort of your truth and and whatnot yeah um and we, we spoke briefly about you saying that you thought about starting a podcast and whatnot i think that'd be a fantastic yeah thing for you to do yeah i think it's it's been really easy for me over the last two years of lockdown and the like to just really throw my energy into the business and mm. um yeah it, i guess it gets back to that you know analogy of it it doesn't really feel like work when you're you know you're, you're doing something that you feel called to do um and yeah i've 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 looked into the idea of of doing a podcast it's just been the time thing mm. um of late but yeah no a few prods from um, people like yourself that might uh, might happen one day. Yeah. Um, we're definitely going to be starting to explore some video content as mm. well. Um, so, yeah, I think that's something that, you know, for, for the younger generation, you know, a lot of content is absorbed by our eyes. And, um, yeah, so the project that we're doing um, in Fitzroy with Kennedy Nolan and Finding Infinity, I think that's a pretty good example of a project where we're not reinventing the wheel mm. um you know we're making some slight changes that are um, going to have positive impacts on the tenants of the building um the developers and ourselves as we're doing the process and um yeah so i think and it's, we're going to publish the the kind of financials of that project as well so to show people you know this is what you can do yeah i, I think case studies would be beautiful I think case studies, um, like you said, you can do it in video form. Um, you'll put out the sort of the written form as well. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think that I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, um, not just pretty videos like proper case studies. Exactly. Yeah. 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 More like you know documentary style. Mm. Yeah. Um, that's that's something that you know I love when I get the time. I'm always always yeah looking up documentaries and yeah even just yeah things like the local project and mm. um uh, never too small is something mm. that's they've just done a recent um video series on youtube about melbourne and development and building it's highly recommended if, okay um, so that is, is that a youtube channel yeah, yeah never too small i think it's called um they're not the are they the tiny home channel or they yeah they do they do do some of those yeah. as well um I, I forget what the series is called i think it's um um, I'm sure. I'm sure. It'll yeah, it'll pop up on it, YouTube. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's um, yeah, I love I love that kind of content. So I think um, yeah, the more of it we can make that's you know centered around Melbourne would 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 be great. Yeah, yeah fantastic. Anything else you wanted to cover? No, I'm, apart from saying thanks for inviting us in here, and um, yeah, it's been pretty strange to first meet someone um on the opposite side yeah. of a microphone but yeah. it's been a really nice um yeah really nice chat yeah i i really enjoy this uh format of, of meeting someone 
uh, on the podcast. I think that uh, that sort of dis- that mutual sort of discovery process is mm. um, is cool. Mm, so definitely, thank you. Uh, yeah, thanks for coming. Uh, all the best with wilderness. I mean, we started our business around the same time, so I, I started in uh, October 2019. Yeah. Um, so, well, so. are you looking forward to hopefully not operating in a pandemic sometime soon? <laughs> um, yeah. Look, it 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 just it just is what it is. Like, it, it, I think um, that, like there's always something. There's always going to be something. Yeah, that's um, true. And you just have to. Just hold yourself accountable. Say, all right, um, I'm in charge. Uh, I'm in control. It just is what it is, and that gives you a lot of freedom to just uh, to just operate and keep moving. Mm. Uh, but like uh, high and mighty talk aside, yes, I'd like the pandemic to yeah. end. Yeah, no, yeah. it's it's it's. I think it's certainly made us, you know, set deeper foundations and. Um, processes and um, yeah I think you know it's we make a joke about it all the time but it can only get easier from here yeah. is kind of <laughs> our, our premise because you know starting a business is hard yeah starting a business at that time was um, maybe crazy <laughs> hey, I also saw on your uh, on your Instagram for for your Christmas breakup you guys went and did uh, the ice baths and breathing yeah exercises and stuff yeah that's are you a- are you big into all that all that kind of stuff. I've yeah, I think you know over the pandemic, I've really kind of focused on my health a lot more. Mm. Um, you know, I've I've had some pretty kind of bad underlying issues with my gut and the mm. like. And um, so yeah, we went and actually spent the day with Mark Tiger Kluwer. And Mark is actually a builder who I used to work for when I was in between doing my traveling years ago. And so Mark and I always kind of stayed in touch. And in 2017, he did a Wim Hof mm. um, retreat, totally changed his life. And after that weekend, he decided to leave his building company and he had this vision of building a retreat and, um, yeah, doing workshops with people. And, um, yeah, so it was, it was pretty special, Mark kind of, built the space just before COVID and then couldn't really open and do his workshops. And so, um, yeah, I've been meaning to get up there for a really long time and, um, yeah, kind of all just fell into place. Um, Our team that we have at the moment is, you know, a really kind of alternative and um, amazing group. And um, I said, Look, guys, we're we're our last day. We're going up to Dalesford for the day, and we're gonna do an ice bath. And um, everyone really didn't, you know, everyone was pretty nervous, myself included. Like it's um pretty daunting, and um yeah, so painful. We didn't really know what we had in store for us for the whole day as well. So yeah, it started out with um yeah, kind of walking in silence into the property with Mark, and then. Yeah, we did we did some kind of guided meditation and breath work and then yeah, it culminated in the ice bath and yeah, everyone um everyone uh yeah, it was it was amazing to see, you know, like that 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 kind of camaraderie and um support for everyone as they were going through like a pretty intense experience was mm. um was amazing. 
John, um, my business partner, he's in his 60s and he went first and set the tone um, so high for all of us. It was amazing. How, um, how many minutes did he do in there? Well, I think he actually was probably in there for well over five minutes Whoa. because one of the other guys um, was in there first and jumped out and so Mark was kind of making sure he was all good and kind of forgot about John for a second. So John stayed in for about five minutes and, um, yeah, just absolutely nailed it. And then what a monster. it just, yeah, set the tone and everyone else, yeah, everyone else ended up staying in for um, three minutes, which was yeah. – um, the water was about one degree, so it was it was a pretty profound experience, um, and an amazing stress release, um, and so a really beautiful way to end the year with the team. So um, highly recommend go and check out Mark, um, and yeah, his his retreats called Elevated Springs, and yeah, it was a absolutely um, beautiful experience mm. and i think yeah we've we're now talking we just signed a lease for a new um uh space for the business hq and yeah i think we're gonna set up a ice bath a, yeah like yeah. a chest freeze ice bath in there so yeah but i mean i the, my, the great majority of my showers are, are, are cold showers and, and i do that just for the mental health sort of mm. benefit I've never done an ice bath. I, I can only imagine how much tougher it is than cold water. Oh well, it yeah. was it was bizarre. Like I didn't feel cold, mm. and I didn't feel pain. Okay, um, it was a feeling that I've never experienced. Well, I think one thing that might make it not as bad as I'm thinking is because the water is still. Mm. When you're under running water, yeah, it's a bit you want, different. You want to stay as still as you can yeah. as well. So um, that happened. With one of the other guys, you know, when he started moving, then he got like he shock, could, yeah. yeah, like this shock factor again. Mm. But it all just came back to your breath, and mm. um, yeah. So, just something as simple as just breathing mm. in and out through your nose can have such profound effect on, you know, calming all your senses. Yeah. That's it's, why I got to get my. I've got a bad deviated septum, so I got to get that fixed. Yep. Yep. Um, so I can breathe out of my right nostril. Yeah, can't, can't breathe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Wh where's the new factory uh, office HQ? We're going to be in Brunswick. Yeah. Oh, so um, hipster central. Yeah, yeah. Not really. Um, not really what I'd kind of had in mind. But Brunswick's we, nice, man. Yeah. What kind of space is it? It's four hundred square meter Whoa. warehouse. Yeah. So Big. We're, we're going to share that with a couple of other makers. So we're going to set up a bit of a kind of yeah workshop that's um communal yeah um we got some storage and stuff for all of our gear and we'll have our office there as well which is super exciting that's awesome how many people in the in the office in the team um so there'll be three of us in the office mm -hmm. and then yeah we've got um we've got another seven on site yeah and that's so just carpenters and supervisors correct yeah 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 what, what's your take on running a team of carpenters as opposed to subbing it all out and all of those things it's just what i've known Mm. um it's it's certainly been what's comfortable um but at the same time you know we're we're always open to new ideas and and trying different things um yeah we've really kind of focused on the last two years is building that team um you know yeah, so it's really hard to get good mm. trades people um yeah and so yeah we make sure we pay our team really well and 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 you know we provide an environment that they want to be in as well. Culture's number one, man. Mm. Like I, we, um, yesterday we had our breakup barbecue and 
I sort of, you know, gave a little speech at the end, as you do, you know. And I said, like, I for me, this year has been a huge success because uh, we've been able to build a team. Mm. You know? So that's that was my sort of number one goal for this year was to build a team. We've got three tradesmen and apprentice now, um, awesome. plus, plus me. So it's like that. That was a, and then you know our subbies who do drawings and in, install and, and all that. So just building that team was just so important to me. As much as we were, you know, we were very disorganized in some areas. We really um, weren't very profitable in, on some jobs, um, but that sort of all didn't matter because that team—that's the infrastructure. Mm. Yeah, that's, I that's, totally agree. That's the the infrastructure, right? And not just having the people there, not just having the labor resources there, but just ha but having that, creating that synergy, starting to create the relationships and that uh, and that flow between the team, you know, and then and then. So it sort of left me feeling like, all right, like we're ready to boogie next year, man. Like, mm. like we're, we're like we're we're ready to fucking give this a really good go. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. You know, we we've we've spent yeah certainly the last twelve months just trying to kind of refine systems and it's a couple of the guys. You know, it's been their first ever project that they've run and 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 the like. So yeah, I think we're yeah we're we're really excited to hit the ground running in twenty twenty two as well. Yeah, what um. I, I did this on the last episode. I said, let's end this in a cute kind of way. Well, what are you grateful for? What do you, like, what's that sentiment as you, that you're carrying and, you know, mm. where's oh, that gratitude coming from for you? I think, you know, um, I'm grateful that, you know, we, we, we live where we do. We have, I have the privilege, you know, to make a lot of the decisions that I'm making mm. in the business and, um, yeah, I'm really excited of what's to come, mm. you know. Um, I think really showcasing something that I feel will become commonplace in the future, you know. Um, you know, I think I'm grateful that, you know, there's other people that are, uh, are seeing my vision too and, and, and kind of attracting towards that. Um, and, yeah, I'm grateful for my health, um, you know, there's, yeah, we've had one of our guys, you know, who's been um, really unwell over the last yeah. few months. Yeah. And that's been really hard um, as an employer. Um, he's also my youngest brother. So that's been, that's been really hard. So, um, yeah, really, really thankful for that. Um, and, yeah, super excited for mm. what's to come. Yeah, awesome. I, I share a lot of that sentiment with you as well. I mean, as an immigrant, I think I'm eternally sort of grateful for this place, unless it gets mega fucked up. But like, it's <laughs> like I'm like I'm very I'm very that's that's a that's always a given for me. Um, awesome. But I, I think I think uh, what I want to focus on is uh, you know I'm very grateful that I get to sort of meet people, have these conversations with mm. them, and uh, satisfy that curious part of me and develop that curiosity mm. and become more open-minded, become more humble and a better listener and mm. just so so grateful for the learning opportunity. Yeah. Well, I think you're, yeah. mate, you're, you're doing an amazing job um, even just, yeah, bringing this podcast out. You mm. know, I, I, I first um, learned about you via the podcast and, you know, it's um, it's an amazing thing and it's a really hard thing to be doing, you know, when you're, 
you're already running a business, you know. So, um, yeah, I take my hat off to you because it's 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 people like you that are, um, you know, getting these different messages out and everyone has a different story to tell. There's something to be garnered by every one of those conversations for everyone who listens. So, yeah, great job. Thanks. Yeah, everyone's got a beautiful story. Everyone's, you know, if you quieten down your heart and you and you listen and you and you're open, everyone's story is beautiful and you can take away so much. Um, and I want to thank you for sharing yours today. Oh, thank you very much. I like the way I ended up. <laughs> very well. Very well. Okay. Thanks, Charlie.